Game On on 2FM with Green Fern. Fuel your day with Green Fern's new high-protein cooked chicken breast fillets. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Thanks to Jenny Green for getting us over the hump of the week. It's Wednesday the 15th of December and this is Game On. Coming up today, we'll preview all the Premier League action and we'll discuss Sergio Aguero, who bid an emotional farewell to football earlier today. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again! In Camogie, Arla Tabala's golden generation are gunning for one more title. We'll hear from Shauna Sinnott and we'll talk to Des Ryan, who has swapped the Premier League for the Premier County. Shirley Callanan, about to captain Tipperary to an All Ireland victory. Now, if you want to get in touch, please do so. You can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Now, welcome along. We are going to get straight into football today because it is a very busy night for it. Uh, Plenty of games coming up. But first of all, we are going to talk Sergio Aguero and the impact that he had on the Premier League. And I'm delighted to say that David Snade, journalist and Conan Byrne are with us on the line. David, to you first. Aguero, he's gone now um, from the game and and he'd played a little bit for Barcelona before falling ill um, with a heart problem it was really difficult actually to watch him today he's 33 it's not like he's he's really young but at the same time you could see how much football meant to him and how difficult it was for him to be faced with an ending like the one that he had yeah no absolutely like you kind of you're looking at the press conference and you obviously it must have been something that he wanted to do just almost to have that release of emotion almost get it to let to let it flow because I can only imagine how difficult the last while it's been for him I think the fact that obviously the irregular heartbeat and the fact that he he was able to even continue that, that's the most important thing here like you know what I mean the fact that like he probably felt lucky to even be in a position to be able to hold that press conference because things could have worked out so differently if he didn't get that medical attention on the, on the pitch when he when he did kind of go down force it could have been so much different but um, yeah you kind of got that sense because you see it's like someone who would obviously grown up in Argentina and travelled moved to Europe but at a, at a young age Atletico Madrid to forge that career and he kind of on his own for so for so long, and then obviously became a legend in the in the Premier League with with Manchester with Manchester City. And you kind of look at well, I think you're right in what you say there. Like you kind of it was actually difficult to watch. Like there's probably there'll probably be some Man United fans who probably would would probably sit out tears watching that goal like he scored in the the last kick of the game from what was it in 2012. But even they would kind of feel a kind of a pang of uh, a pang of guilt for him, you know, or kind of regret for him because. The career he had, I should say, thirty three. Like he, he's still he used to think he's. Is thirty three young? Like, I don't know. Conan Byrne is well, with us. I'm thirty three, so I like to think that was young. Conan so, Byrne is thirty three young for a footballer. I'm a, not sure. He's only a baby, Marie. <laughs> but seriously, Conan, though, what a career! When you think about that Manchester City team, he probably is one of the first people that comes to mind. He left them with five Premier League titles, one FA Cup, and six League Cup triumphs, and then you throw in. His individual stats, which are just unbelievable. City's all-time leading goal scorer. He has the most Premier League hat-tricks, more than anybody else. The top overseas goal scorer in league history. And he is the fourth in the Premier League all-time scorers list. Yeah, and I think if you add a couple of... If he did have have a little bit more height than him, he probably would have scored a lot more goals as well, um, considering he's such a small striker. Um, 
But like as as David says there, with the the press conference itself itself was such a tough watch, um, very emotional. And as you say, he's 33, but he's probably signed. For, he's, he hasn't won the Champions League. He got to a, he's been runner-up last season, obviously from Manchester City, and it's probably the one thing that he wanted to win. And maybe going to Barcelona, obviously not at the moment, but he probably thought ahead that it might have been a good opportunity for him to do that. Um, but the stats speak for themselves. The legacy that he will, that that goal that will that Martin Tyler is is famous for now. The, the Aguero sh- scream as he puts the ball into the net to win them the. The, the Premier League t- trophy for the first time in 2012 it's um, it's remarkable and um, yeah he's going to be a big loss to football in, in, in the world and as you said we talked about his stats 184 goals is, in league goals um, is absolutely extraordinary I loved Michael Richards talking about him today because I actually didn't know a lot of the things um, about his character until they started to come out today but he was the worst trainer in the history of training. He had that laid back style. He'd just walk around the place. He wouldn't even tie up his boots sometimes. Richards thought, okay, you're after making a mistake here now. Like he's not going to be the player that you're expecting. He thought that Tevez Tevez was better but as soon as he went on that pitch, David Snade, he could just do, he could make magic really is probably the best way of putting it. He was just lazy, like some of the instincts. He kind of there were so many finishes that he seemed to get where he'd be kind of almost on the run, and he just failed to find that near post. And you almost hear that the goalkeeper shouldn't be beaten at the near post, but there was some anywhere he just was able to find that little bit of space. And when I was watching that press conference earlier, and obviously the tears, and Colin mentioned there about the Champions League, and like you felt bad saying it, but you almost felt as if like the right was on the wall in terms of what was coming with, with Man City for a couple of years, and I've had Guardiola, like even last year. Like, Guardiola gave that kind of after he'd won the league that emotion interview on the pitch where he's in tears talking about how they'd never find another one like Sergio Aguero but I think if you're going to forget that seat he played last year even when Aguero had been fit without without him really because it was, even at that point City and Guardiola were kind of looking to the future of what, what the kind of the future will be almost without the kind of the, the, the usual the non-recognised kind of striker who people always talk about it's crazy to see it in terms of like even Liverpool are kind of going that way a little bit as well how their how their front kind of three operate but but see that's how City had, had kind of been going and you kind of wonder is he one of the last great kind of players like that in the in the Premier League obviously Ronaldo is still there now and obviously they're still strikers but at that very top level the, the game but all the game seems to be changing how, how, how Guardiola seems to want to do it like he was going to bring in Harry Kane who obviously as well can be a little bit has kind of altered his game a little bit to kind of be more of a link player but like you just kind of look at that, and you kind of for, you kind of do forget though the last couple of years with City when he was he was coming towards the end, he, he, they were phasing him out for a little while. Like remember when Guardiola first took over, one of the first casualties was was um, was uh, Joe Hart in goal because he just said, "Listen, this fella isn't for me. Like he can't do what I want to do. With how goalkeeper should play." And it didn't take long before he was starting to do that, even even with 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 um, with Aguero, like even how he was playing, but like. That doesn't take away, I don't think, the, like, the, the impact he would have had and just just the, the, just the absolute sheer kind of quality he had in front of goal. If it was ball dropping anywhere in the box, he just always knew where to be because he had those, not just those instincts, but just that, that career where he just knew. He, just, he kind of had been in so many situations where he knew where the ball would be. And, but gradually, I don't think you can take away from the still. But gradually, I think the game is kind of moving away almost from that kind of traditional the meaning of striker essentially especially now it is in the Premier League now you know and in Europe too yeah that's actually a really good point and I think all you have to do is look at Manchester City and Leeds last night 7-0 and look at the goal scorers Foden, Grealish, De Bruyne to Mara, Stones and Aki and 
Conan, just what David is saying there, you know, they don't have that out-and-out striker, but they can get goals from anywhere now, that system that Pep is playing. He's seems to really be fine-tuning it now and even all that narrative and conversation about whether they're missing out because they don't have that out-and-out striker, it's really starting to dissipate, if not go away now. Absolutely, and they're starting to ramp it up even more. They've been so impressive over the last number of weeks, but the first 20-25 minutes yesterday was absolutely sensational football for Manchester City. They, It was kind of like <coughs> Liverpool um, maybe a couple of years ago when the, their, their initial 20 minutes of a game, their press is just absolutely frightening the way they play. Once they got the ball, they broke and at just at that speed, which is they, the Leeds couldn't, just couldn't handle them at all. And um, Phil Foden, we've talked about him number, numerous times now over the last couple of years, but he's going to be he's turned into an absolutely unbelievable player. But that false nine has been brought in so many times over the years. It's, it, a lot of people are thinking that this is Pep, Pep Guardiola's thing. Spain won a, won a European Championship with a, with a, with a false nine. The team says Fabregas playing in that position. So um, this has been, been around for a while. Um, but I think Pep Guardiola is getting the best out of it at this moment in time. Yeah, they were absolutely relentless last night, David. And I always get a little bit worried when I see Kevin De Bruyne playing really well and he does look like he's back to his absolute best, probably his best performance of the season last night, I'd say. Well, yeah, and because of, if you look at that City team, like just the nature of the squad, where like so someone like Jack Grealish as well, who's a 100 million pound player and he's kind of being criticised because he hasn't been ripping it up, but he has a need. He just slots into that kind of formation and that, and that system that Guardiola wants. And De Bruyne as well, again, he's had his injury problems. You know, you kind of even go back to that Champions League where he had to go off in the final with uh, with the concussion as well, wasn't it? So you kind of wonder, like, how how would that game have differed if, if he had have been able to, to stay on for the whole game? And like De Bruyne is just, he's just magic to watch. And I've said this before, it's almost just caresses the ball sometimes and yet at the same time he absolutely smashes it like that second goal that he scored last like last night it was just the technique and just mm-hmm. the way he did it was just brilliant and the positions that he picks up he, on either side it's kind of because he floats all over and the balls he puts in he's just he, re- he really is kind of so so brilliant to watch and then then you look at even what Colin was saying there though how kind of Guardiola now was not that he's mad at the system because it's are still in games where maybe he had kind of stored a little bit although he still won the last five and run a serious one Got like 40, still got 40 goals now this season, but like there still will be moments where they might kind of struggle or it could be difficult to, to break a side down. But they just have so much like, talent in there. You go back to last year when Saeed Kai Gadongan was, was banging in the goals, like he they don't seem to always just have a, a focus on one player or even two players that have to that have to turn up, that have to deliver for them. Like it's probably the benefit of the fact that they have been able to have so much, they've been able to spend so much, but they spent it wisely. They've actually. Like build a serious squad and even say Bernardo Silva who seems to be on the way out of City at the back end of last year because he wasn't playing so many games he kind of stayed in the team and he's come to the fore this year as well he's, if you're, I suppose if you're, asked, if you're looking at a Man City player at the moment he's probably the one who would get their player of the year at the moment it's only 17 games in for them though something halfway through their season but then you could you could well imagine that by the end of the season someone else could have taken that mantle like Colin mentioned Phil Fowden, like back in the last year and for most of that season, it was just on a, the level he was the level he was reaching. But again, he got an injury during the during the summer. Didn't really play at the Euros for for England. He got injured during it, wasn't it? And then he kind of missed a bit at the start of the season. But the depth that that City have, you kind of think that's what as the season goes on. Obviously, at the moment between them, Liverpool and Chelsea, 
the three-way title race, but as the season goes on, and especially over the next little while in December into January, obviously depending on what happens with, with COVID and if, if more games kind of do kind of get rearranged and stuff, this could be a defining period in the in the um, the title race with them in terms of the fact that you have such a big squad to, to call on that could see them through over the next little while and they've already pulled away a little bit four points clear obviously they were putting a chance to go play tomorrow isn't it so that could be reduced again it's looking nip and tuck at the moment we're only halfway through and this may change but at the moment see depth of quality it's just so so impressive yeah, they look so formidable and 500 goals now for Pep Conan and the interesting thing about that for me anyway is that he's got there quicker than some of the managers like Alex Ferguson and Jurgen Klopp and every now and again maybe if Mad City have a poor start I always maybe think oh maybe Pep's losing it a little bit or the players are, are getting a bit fed up with him that you know he's gone a little bit mad and then you read a stat like that and you realise there's probably method to every single bit of his madness because they just seem to always come good. Yeah, he doesn't think game by game. He's thinking season by season. He probably has an idea in his head for three, four seasons down the line of where he wants his team to be, what players are going to be in his team, what system he's going to play. Um, it's like, And what happens is, is that the whole, from the top down, the academies play the exact same way as the first team. Happens most team, most most academies in England anyway. But the players that are, are ready to step up can go into a system with, with their, what they're used to. And Pep has brought in different varieties of, of formations into the side that, that are just absolutely fantastic. You, you saw Cancelo going into defensive midfielder, playing it right back, the way he's just able to go across the pitch, take that position, and they don't look exposed down the other side. So, like as I said, you're talking about goals. Like The players that they have in their team and David has mentioned that all of them there, Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, um, didn't even mention um, like the likes of Gabriel Jesus, who can who can who was very similar to Aguero, just doesn't have the the strike rate yet. Like these players that have one chance to score a goal, and they're not the natural striker in the football team. They can play as wide players. They can play in the ten. They can play um, sitting like uh, Ilke Gundogan, the way he's performing, the way the amount of goals he's scoring from central midfield as well. So there's goals all over the pitch. So there's no surprise that he has reached that 500 mark so quickly. Like if you look at Alex Ferguson's teams, you're relying on Cole and York, Sheringham, Solskjaer. Um, but with Manchester City, like if you you don't know who's going to score first because it could be any of the team. Yeah, and the thing would be as well, just to follow up on that, is if you want to get out against City, they're going to have to score first because like for all the attacking like prowess is there and the flair and and how the system works and how like how great it is, they've only conceded nine goals in the league this year. You know what I mean? Like you look at Chelsea and like they've got they've conceded eleven, and yet like Thomas Tuchel is kind of seen as a manager who has so much control, especially defensively in his, in his side, and yet. That's what City have as well. Obviously, they will when Diaz came in last year. It was an absolute like, force, but like, this year, again, they just follow it up. And, what, 17 games, only conceded nine goals. Like, that just shows you that like, even if they do have a bit of a blip, and maybe they only score four goals in the game, not seven, like, the chances that they score against them are so slim. And when a team goes in, it's like, it is like United in the, in the 90s and, and the early 90s and even started of um, the last decade where teams were beaten before you even played them. City are kind of at that level again over the last last little while because like first of all like, you're probably not going to even get a chance to score against them and if you do they're probably still going to be able to have the firepower to overcome it. They were just from the off 
relentless yesterday. 31 shots on the Leeds goal. But did we learn anything about Leeds? Conan was just too much for them. Yeah, look, they're, they're missing a lot of players through injury. Um, I'm not going to talk down on um, Bielsa's tactics or anything like that. I just thought they were very open and he... I'm sure in hindsight he probably would have done things a lot differently having seen the scoreline that have finished up but yeah I just think Manchester City were absolutely sensational um, Leeds as I said they didn't have the squad that they that they usually have they're, they're regular players in the team that may have prevented that scoreline but having said that I still think a comprehensive victory would have would have taken place last night if Leeds had their full strength team given given how good they have been over the last number of we- weeks and how they were in, in, the form that they were in last night was unbelievable but look Marco's going to have to go back to the training ground now over the next couple of days um, hopefully get his full strength of, uh, of, of players back and um, go again because they're, they're not in great form at the moment at all and they start, really need to start picking up points especially over the Christmas period I think we're going to be hearing a lot of that teams not having a full strength squad because COVID is starting to run riot now and no doubt will do over the Christmas period. David Aston Villa last night, a 2-0 win over Norwich and another impressive performance as well under Stephen Gerrard. He's doing quite a lot of things right. Yeah, like in terms of obviously the new, partly would be maybe that new, new manager bounce that people talk about but if you, if you watch them, like the energy that they seem to play with but also it's almost as if there has been a kind of a shift in the, the mentality a little bit which doesn't kind of surprise you in terms of you think of Gerrard as the player obviously at Liverpool just even though maybe never won, never won the league and came close towards the end like there would have always been constant demands and even when he went up to Rangers obviously his manager like he was going into an environment whereby he had to win every week that the demands even though Celtic were going for a 10 in a row and, and stuff and won the, the lead title in the first year when he was there the demands and the expectation on him as a manager was he had to win regardless of of anything else obviously he was developing his his style and all the rest of it but I remember doing a, doing an interview with Gary McAllister who he obviously would have had as an assistant it was very interesting just listening to him and even talking about how Gerard operated and like he wasn't trying to portray like he, he wasn't like even Gerard doesn't deal with portraying himself as say this kind of say master coach who's coming through he does see himself he is like a manager he delegates a lot to to his staff and, and he trusts his staff because he gives them the information they know exactly what what's required and the players too and it was very much a case of putting demands on those Rangers players when he was there and that's now because obviously they had to win and eventually he did win the league and he's gone to Villa now and like Villa Man, like, be kind of people listening to be for certain people, Villa will be a club, obviously, won the European Cup and would be seen as a big club for a lot of other people, or just a club who kind of fluctuate a little bit around maybe mid table in the Premier League. Obviously, we're relegated, and we think, well, what's the big, what's the big fuss? But if you go to Villa Park and you, you be around that, around that seat, you kind of do get a sense of just how, how big, a, big a club it is, and like the results that you've got there in the last little while. But obviously, you were disappointed, disappointed to get to, to be beaten by, by Liverpool. Um, and then he kind of were fortunate a little bit against Leicester like they were maybe a little bit looser at certain times and, and Leicester kind of weren't really weren't really great but like, they just just were too far too strong for Norwich and then you're kind of looking at where they are now like they're level on points with Leicester see they're only a few points off, off spores they're, if, if the, the giddiest of Aston Villa fans are looking at it they're what you know six points off the off the top four and then you look at those teams who are in between it and there's no team there who you, kind of, who you would trust and say they're definitely going to put a, a run on obviously what's happening with United with Arsenal there the issues now again that are coming to the fore obviously what's happening with Aubameyang and stuff 
And like it does seem to be the case that Gerard has put more demands on players and an expectation to actually to go to go and actually win games. And it might sound silly, but sometimes that kind of culture might not always be there in a club because for so long a certain club might still so is good enough. And that's never been the case for Gerard, you know. It'll be interesting to follow his progress all right under Valencia how long this new manager bounce lasts because it could be a case that he's just a good manager and we'll find out over the next few months. So I mentioned COVID a little bit earlier. There was supposed to be four games on tonight but Burnley and Watford has been postponed because of a COVID outbreak in um, Watford. They didn't have enough players to field a team tonight so it was postponed at a very short notice which is worrying, especially as there are a lot of other camps who have got COVID in um, the squad. I know that Brendan Rogers said that um, he has an awful lot of players and was looking for the game to be called off. They have no available centre-backs for that game against Spurs. He's missing nine players through illness and COVID. And you'd imagine just the way things are going that that's going to rise. So we'll be monitoring that. But Conan, what I found interesting is that... A lot of managers are now talking about their attitude to COVID and Jurgen Klopp, who has been really strong on it since the very, very start, has said that he hasn't decided yet whether or not the players will only or the club will only sign players vaccinated against COVID-19 in the future. He said that vaccination is a question of loyalty. Uh, Stephen Gerrard and Patrick Vieira have both said that vaccine status might be a consideration in the decision making process when signing new players. And also we know that the Premier League said um, only a couple of months ago that 68% of its players were double jabbed. But that still is, isn't isn't a lot when you think that managers are now starting to say that they might want players in their squads who aren't vaccinating. That would, vaccinated, that would be an awful lot of players who aren't double jabbed, who might have to make some tough decisions in the future, Conan. I can see why the managers are saying, though, saying these comments, Marie. Um, you don't want, like, uh, if you're trying to sign a player and they're unvaccinated and they could bring COVID cases into the camp, it's going to, in, in, it's going to, first of all, it's going to disrupt the dressing room. It's going to disrupt your performances on the football pitch because you're going to be missing players. You could lose games. That could signal the end of a manager. Um, so, and I know a lot of people have been questioning Klopp's comments today about loyalty, solidarity, and togetherness, but. A team needs this to achieve success. You need all the players pushing in the one direction. And Liverpool have done this over the last number of years. So I can see why managers are going to are, are looking at this. In, and, and I wouldn't say it's on, on, on only managers either. I'm sure club owners will be looking at this as well. They're going to be investing in players that are, are going to be unvaccinated. Um, and is that a good business move for the club? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, the stakes are so high and they're continuing to rise as well, especially around Christmas. And then you're you're heading into a period where you won't feel it till we start talking a, a lot about relegation and, and title hopes and all the rest. So it does come around pretty quickly. So we do have Arsenal and West Ham uh, tonight, David, and still people are talking about Obama Yang and the decision not to include him in the squad. He's not going to feature again. And the question is now whether or not he will feature ever again for Arsenal. Um, I suppose at the moment, like the nature of the month that that we're in, you would think that maybe he might, he might have to. I think like I don't think it would weaken Arteta's position with players in the dressing room if he was to include him in the squad in terms of having that body in there because like he's already made his point by taking the captaincy off him. Like the fact that 
young players there now have kind of seen what's seen what's happened and, and know those expectations that are there and obviously there's a big talk about how Arte is trying to change a culture that's been at Arsenal for so long and, and how things have been so I would have It'd be a surprise if he if he's not even in, even in around the squad. He's still a, he's still a quality player. It's just whether whether or not Arsenal do want to get rid of him in January, and if they're able to, because you would you would imagine the fact that he signed that huge contract was I think over nearly three hundred grand a week or, or or whatever it is, and that was only recently. That like Aubameyang's in a very strong position. He's still a quality player. There will be people queuing up to take him, but I'd say on loan. And if it was a case of Arsenal paying the majority of his wages, so it will come down to. I'd be interested to hear what, what Conor would think on it in terms of how that dressing room dynamic, which we're talking about earlier, say even with the COVID side of things, like you get rid of him and take the hit, and maybe have to take a hit of still paying his wages but not having him there, and then not being able to bring someone in because of budgets or whatever, just to have that person out of the dressing room. Because even if you listen to Arteta, some of Arteta's comments, it's like. It's almost as if he's hated having to do this because they do seem to have a decent enough relationship with football because of what he is trying to do and, and the changes that he's trying to make in terms of the culture of the club. He's had to make this decision and uh, I think it's maybe it could be a bit easier to sell it to a board as well to get rid of him because he just hasn't been doing it on the pitch either. Conan? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can uh, Look, I've been in dressing rooms before where players have caused unrest and as a footballer you're just trying to want the best out of, your, out of the team and the club so no matter who they are you don't want that in the dressing room so if he is going to be causing that unrest within within the camp there's only one option that's going to that's going to take place and, and he has to move on um, this is not the first time it's it's it, disciplinary issues have come to um, Aubameyang I think it's, this is the third now um, and as players like as players are usually given a second chance very rarely a player gets given a third chance. And the fact that he's ca- that he was captain through all these as well is uh, it's not a good sign for 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 Arsenal Football Club. And look, that's captaincy was stripped from him. And that's uh, that was a good decision. And it'll be interesting to see who takes over. But in terms of Aubameyang's, Aubameyang's future, I can understand why he might need to be playing over the next couple of couple of weeks, considering the COVID cases in 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 England. But uh, a long term, I can't see him being at being at the Emirates for much longer. Yeah, well, we were talking earlier about what's young and old for a footballer. I think he's 32, so he's not uh, hes not a spring chicken anymore either. So he'd probably want to be playing as much as possible over the next while just for himself as well. So that game is on at 8 o'clock and we also have Crystal Palace and Southampton at half seven and Brighton and Wolves at half seven and that Burnley-Watford game is postponed. So David, we tomorrow will be consumed by the Nations League draw. It's on at five o'clock in Switzerland. And you'd imagine that when Stephen Kenny does face the media, I think it's going to be Friday, the questions will be about his contract. Yeah, it's all gone, Marty. It's all gone. There's so much excitement around the Nations League, and hopefully Ireland will finally win a game. I still haven't won a game in the Nations League since it started. And we've had three, three, three different managers at this point, so please God, please God, we'll just get a win. But um, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one we've seen this week, and like even just chasing it up and cycling, like he's like Stephen Kenny, the board of base, if you board, have gone to Jonathan Hill, obviously the CEO, and said to Jonathan Hill go and offer Stephen Kenny a contract that's going to include the 20 the qualifiers for the 2024 Euros so that's that's what he is going to be there for for Stephen Kenny um, it's going to be interesting like he's obviously going to hear he's already Stephen Kenny's already spoken about how he wants to win the Nations League obviously Ireland are towards these in that, in that draw in, in League B so like they're coming from a point of view where they're obviously they shouldn't be favourites to win a, to win a, to win a group where they're, where they're towards these that's what Stephen has there uh, 
has set out for after um, when we spoke with that, um, earlier this year. So, like the FAA board have obviously seen how what's happened towards the, the back end of the campaign and the campaign as a whole and, and how things were able to be steadied after a, a disappointing start and, and the work that's happened around it. And as I said to me, like it's something that it's a contract that could could be signed in a half an hour or it could take a month to get done, you know. Um, but I don't know at the moment in terms of, of where it is exactly because obviously Jonathan Hill will be the one discussing it with Stephen Kenny and his representative. So that's kind of where it's at with, with Ireland at the moment. And then, yeah, going into going into next year, it's going to be a four-game window in the June and two at the, the back end of the year. And then it's, it's not going to be the Euro qualifiers until 2023. So, like it was said to me, that it will be... A, it could be done before the side of Christmas, but that possibly it won't, and it could be maybe just after or even into the new year if uh, if, if if a deal is um, if, if a deal is trashed out. But it certainly feels as if that's likely to be happen to be happening sooner rather than later. Which I think for for a lot of people um, towards the back end of the campaign, especially, would kind of say, well, do you know what? He's kind of he's had a chance to, to go and have a full full Nations League campaign because obviously his contract would have finished in the July, which would have been before the final two games, and it's just. It is a show of faith, 100%, and therefore bar to include the, the Euro qualifiers in it as well, because a lot of people would have said, well, just extend the contract in and see how their Nations League goes, but as was put to me, it's going to be for, for the Euro qualifiers as well, and that there is no clause in it, even that, obviously, listen, if, in terms of how, it, depending on how the Nations League goes, there's no clause that says you have, you have to do X, Y, and Z, even though he set out to, to say he wants to win it. But obviously he's going to have to deliver good results in that in that Nations League to keep the positivity and that momentum that has kind of arrived at the back end of the campaign goal. Yeah, I think everybody would be happy enough with a bit of positivity and momentum heading into 2022, that's for sure. Conan, speaking of positivity and momentum, you were very busy at the weekend raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and yourself and Brendan Clark went around all the League of Ireland grounds trying to hit the crossbar in every single one of them and you did it. Fair play. Yeah, I think the most important word you used there was trying. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very, uh, very difficult, very um, exhausting, and but also very emotional for considering what we were doing it for and the amount of money we raised over the course of the couple of days that we went. So, yeah, we were absolutely thrilled with the response um, from from everybody, not just the League of Ireland community, but from beyond as well. And um, you mentioned Jonathan Hill there, and he even he sent us a little message as well. So. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a great, great couple of days um, getting to, to go around all the grounds and, and allowing Brendan to hit the crossbar from the halfway line was great as well. You must have been wrecked though, like trying to do that in just the space of a couple of days, actually even just trying to hit the crossbar is, it can be quite hard as well. What was the longest time that it took, um, it took you to do it in? Well, we kind of knew it was going to be the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium in Derry um, because it's the biggest pitch. So, um yeah, that took us 36 attempts to, to do it. I think we, we calculated overall, there was just over 400 footballs we kicked over the over the three days. And you're not getting much time to do a warm-up before or after. Um, after you do that, you're just hitting the bar and then just packing up the balls and heading on to the next ground. So, yeah, it was um, very, very... Like, obviously, the, I've, I've retired now, so I'm, it takes me a bit longer to recover. So... Um, my uh, my legs aren't the the aren't in the best shape at the moment. Let me tell you. So how much did you raise? Yeah, so, so far. So far, yeah, we've because we've we've an auction to do now with all the jerseys that we got from all the clubs. But I think at this moment in time on the GoFundMe page, it's um, I think it's one hundred and 
think it's 18,600, I think. Um, That's amazing. We have, but we're going to be guaranteed 21 because we've been, uh, Dundalk, have, or Dundalk FC have, have kindly sponsored us a thousand euro and also Mangard Plus as well have given us 2,000 euro because we uh, we managed to hit the crossbar within 20 shots at most grounds. So that was uh, very kind of them <laughs> to, to offer 2,000. So yeah, we're on, on just hitting 21,000 now, which is phenomenal because considering we only we were only hoping for 10 and as you talked about there it's all for make a wish ireland and the 200 children on a waiting list wishing um waiting on wishes to be granted for those children so it wouldn't it be just a, such a shame if those wishes weren't granted or, um over the next couple of months and so yeah it was just a, 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 a little tip of the iceberg stuff but um, hopefully it'll make a little bit of difference anyway yeah well fair play and if anybody wants to donate it's all on Conan Burns social media um, platforms they'll be able to find him and just before we finish up David Snade a little bit of team news Evan Ferguson is on the bench for Brighton tonight in the Premier League against Wolves still only 17 years of age obviously former Bowes player well former Bowes player he played when he was just 14 we're talking about footballers' ages. This fella is a baby. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's not. He is a man. You speak to, I spoke to coaches at Brighton about this fella. Um, obviously, League of Ireland fans would know him. He made his debut for Bowles in a friendly against Chelsea, actually, at Dayton Park when he was only 14. And um, he was very quickly on the radar. One of these players who actually went over a bit earlier um, to England before the Brexit rule came in. Obviously, you now lads leaving at 18. So, so Brighton. And their links with obviously Ireland as well, like John Morning, who would have worked with the Ireland on the right. He's he's uh, kind of head of the academy there as well. And, and Garen Connolly, I think Garen Connolly's on the bench in that in that game too, or even starts maybe. I'm not too sure. Um, could be wrong there. Sorry, just got a little bit distracted. Oh, Aaron Connolly starts, but yeah, Evan Ferguson, 17. Talked about Sergio Aguero at the start of the, at the start of this conversation. We won't put any pressure on him by saying he could have a career like Sergio Aguero, but it, it will be handy. It will be handy. Well, he is half of his age around that anyway. So just seventeen, Evan Ferguson on the bench for Brighton tonight in the Premier League against Wolves. Wolves, David Snade and Conan Byrne. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break and then we're back with the Gaelic Games. <laughs> Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back now. I am delighted to be joined on the line by Des Ryan, the former head of sports science and medicine at Arsenal, and he will now lead an overhaul of Tipperary's athletic and development structures with Satanta College. Des, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for inviting me. I, I enjoyed the Premier League preview and review there. That was <laughs> very beneficial for me. Well, now that I have you, I'm very curious about Obama Yang. What kind of a character is he? I do remember interviewing, I think it was Louise Quinn or Katie McCabe, one of them anyway, and they were talking about him at the training ground and he said that they said that he always had the fanciest cars. Oh, definitely. Uh, unicorn colour was his best one, was my wow. favourite of his <laughs> for sure. And the gold one. Um, but I will say he's a fantastic character bubbly uh, lively I was itching to jump in in your conversation he's a lovely guy and it happens people make mistakes and in fairness to the manager he's he's dealing with it appropriately I think but so, he's a good guy yeah, just with taking into account your assessment of it there are you, you surprised that he's in a situation now where he's been stripped of the captaincy not currently playing and his future with Arsenal is in doubt well, well, I don't know about that. I don't know anything about his future, but um, in in 
professional environments, everybody, staff, players, young players, academy, parents, there has to be rules, there has to be repercussions, there has to be standards, and it's important to act on those things. It would be a worse situation if they weren't acted on. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting as well to see how it plays out for sure. So, Des, I think people are probably really curious about you because it's so rare to see an Irish person being head of sports science and medicine at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And obviously when things like that happen, we get very proud of the the person that is in that situation. I know you've left now, but you were there for quite a long time. How did you end up there? Yeah, well... um I, I was working for there a few for a long time before that, and and I will emphasise I was uh, head of sports science and medicine for the academy. So in the RFU, I was um, fitness education manager. I managed the conditioners in all the academies. I developed the educational programs and the physical framework. So basically, they saw the work, the good work that was done in Irish rugby. They invited me over for a presentation. Then a position came up. Um, it was driven by Colin Lewin, the famous physio. Uh, he knew the younger players needed help, uh, needed athletic development, needed a long-term plan. And thankfully, I had a, a successful interview with Liam Brady, who, who mentored me well, guided me well in my time over there. And I was there for a very, very enjoyable nine years. And I must say, some, some excellent people and players came through the system uh, with the help of everyone. Yeah, and you brought a lot of Irish people through as well, just in the in your side of things, in the sports science side of things, because I know we've obviously all heard about Jerry Flannery been over there and we've seen some of the viral posts. But Barry Solon as well was there, the, the Mayo man. So you, you definitely brought through um, a few people from here and, and I'd imagine gave a lot of people a leg up. Um, well, well, Barry earned his, his position there, a very, very good condition with the first team. And I will definitely mention Paddy Roach, a Tipperary man, who was working in the academy and definitely one of the best strength conditioners I know. Um, and Ireland, you, would, you wouldn't believe the talent Ireland produce in athletic development, like Philip Morrow and Saracens. There's, there's endless names. Um, we're really producing some high-quality uh, coaches in Ireland at the moment. Oh, that's really And Johnny O'Connor was over there too, and he's leading the way in Connacht rugby. Oh, very yeah, good. So he's yeah. a nice coaching community. Yeah, because you do hear of the of um, our SNC coaches and our sports science professionals spreading their wings and travelling around a lot as well. But you're back now and you're involved with Satanta College and this new partnership with Tipperary GA has caught a lot of people's attention. What's the what's the plan with Tipperary and, and what do you hope to achieve, Des? Yeah, it's, it's, it's happened organically. Um, uh, I come back. Satanta, of course, is mainly focused on education. We want to to help teams, help sports organisations. We want to create opportunities for graduates. So it, it started off with Dini Maher, the, the Games Manager. Will you help us out with under 14, 15? Of course, we love that. Uh, then, of course, Liam Hennessy, the founder of Satanta, would be very close to Colin Bonner, to Brendan Cummins, to Dave Power. And suddenly, uh, we, we ended up in a lot of meetings with the board, planning what could be best. How could this be beneficial? How, what's the best way to do it? Joe Kennedy, the chairman, Tim Floyd as well. And we ended up in something very unique, I think, and uh, dual aspirational. We want people to be healthy. We want to develop uh, them. We want um, well-being as a focus. So hopefully they all end up playing for their clubs for the rest of their playing career. And they all stay involved in Gaelic games. And a byproduct of that, the other aspiration, 
is well, there'll be a steady flow of good players through all the age groups, hurling football up to the senior level and be as, as competitive and perform as high a level as possible. So we'll, we'll, we'll support them with many conditioners, uh, athletic development coaches, we'll call them. Uh, we'll focus on movement. We'll educate them. We'll develop them as people, as players. We've got workshops on education, workshops on nutrition. There's one tomorrow night for the 14s, 15s and the parents who prepare the food. Well-being, <laughs> you name it. I, we'll be doing mindfulness with these young people. It'll be, it'll be very enjoyable, I think. There's been so many conversations of late, Des, about underage structures and about the transition from minor to senior because of the, I suppose, the gap really from, from minor to senior level and the difficulties that an awful lot of players face in trying to to go from being an underage player to a senior player. And we know that the retention of players is, um, is difficult because trying to make that step up can be quite hard. So just, just for, from your point of view, how important is it then to just to nurture these these young people and get them into a position where they can eventually bridge that gap to senior level and and how difficult is it really yeah it's the the profile of a senior Gaelic player at the highest level now is outstanding it's it's equal to professional rugby professional soccer in a slightly different way completely different sports but the level of speed speed repeatability endurance durability strength oh it's 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 a really high level so that's why this support is important and there are little gaps say after under 17 to mm-hmm. get to under 20 but the athletic development coaches will be there to help them uh, to continue that physical development to prepare for the next level uh, and similarly after under 20 there's a little gap between the senior mm-hmm. and the athletic development coaches will be there with like an academy style to develop them psychosocial to develop them physically and tactical technical and I must say the most important thing is the sport, is the skills. We're just support. And the leaders of each of the individual teams, uh, Colm, Brendan, etc., Dave, they're, they're the important people. We're there to support them. And, and developing the skills is the most important thing. So, Des, when you're looking at the GAA and the Gaelic Games players, and knowing that they are not professional, they're heading into work and given the scientific background that you have and all the knowledge that you have and all the the experience that you've gained working with professional athletes, are you sitting back almost concerned about the fact that they have to go to work and that recovery is not going to be able to take priority because people have to go and earn a living? Exactly. Uh, They're dual aspirational athletes, I call them because they're not a one-focused player like rugby, like soccer, professional. Uh, They've got full-time students to think about and their sport, their career to think about and sport. So we can't overload them. And anyway, if we did, we'd probably fatigue them too much. And if we fatigue them too much, there'd probably be problems. And it wouldn't be enjoyable. And there could be injuries. So it it needs a logical program where we use technology, we use um, listening, our ears, uh, we learn about the person. What happens on those other 20 hours of the day that are not training? Um, and, and helping them with education, with advice, with support. Uh, so there's, there's lots of ways we can help. And I think those fantastic sports people deserve uh, good quality expertise to, to help them in that challenging. It's more challenging than the professional player, for sure. 
Yeah, and and what about then? I know you mentioned the skills of the game and the skills Gaelic football and hurling are obviously quite different, and and the games are quite different. Is it is there much of a of a difference then in the preparation and how you'd prepare a, a Gaelic football athlete and a hurling athlete for the games that they're going to play? Um, slightly, uh, but very fundamental at the younger age groups. The programs will be very similar, and as they get older, as they master the competencies. Um, it would be slightly different conditioning games. So that's the key to it. If we develop a player through the game itself, it'll be very specific. So uh, the specific hurling games, that will overload them, and brilliant coaches like Tommy Dunn will work with the athletic development coaches to create those games to overload them. And then you're, you're actually working on the specifics of the, the sport itself while you're conditioning them on the pitch. And then in the gym... I like to think of it nearly even more specific. It's individual. We, we really focus on movement, uh, mobility, stability, and every player has different movement signatures, and we'll be trying to get the best out of them in that. But yeah, there'll be certain exercises in hurling, wrist, shoulder, mm-hmm. um, forearm, that'll be a little bit more emphasis in hurling. The rotation, a little bit more in hurling and in football. Still rotation, but a little bit more uh, hip mobility, a little bit more uh, linear running. Okay, well, it's fascinating the way it's evolving and uh, the involvement as well of Satanta and the fact that you're bringing it all together now. We were talking about Manchester City earlier and how they played the same brand of football the whole way through the academy to the senior. And we know that's what they're trying to do with the Irish football team as well. So it seems to be the right way to do things, Des. So we wish you all the best with Tipperary and we look forward to seeing the results on the pitch. Thank you. Thanks, Des. Game on on 2FM. With Green Fern, have your dinner ready in a flash. With Green Fern's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. Available in selected stores nationwide. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. And now I am delighted to be joined by Alert the Bala Camogie player Shauna Sennett ahead of the 2020-2021 AIB All-Ireland Senior Camogie Club Championship Final against Sarsfields of Galway. The sides will go head-to-head at UPMC Nolan Park in Kilkenny at 1.30. This year's AIB Club Championships celebrate the toughest players in Gaelic games, those who are not defined by what they have won, but by how they persevere no matter what. And this Saturday showdown is set to be no exception. So, Shauna, how are you? I am delighted to be chatting to you and I'm delighted that Owlert are in the final because I just love looking at your team and they're talking about the toughest and your team definitely has some of the toughest players that have ever played the game. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, I suppose, look, we're absolutely delighted to be back in the All-Ireland um, 2015 since the last time that we had the chance to play in it. Um, and like you were saying, some of the guards we have on our team are definitely the toughest and... I know that from marking them in training and stuff. I don't think I've ever faced any as, as tough as components as um, some of the guards that we have. Yeah, and I'd say as well when it comes to standards, you know, and, and like we're always talking about driving standards and making sure that everybody um, does the best that they possibly can. When you're surrounded by the likes of Mary and Una Lacey and Ursula Jacob, you're going to be doing the best that you possibly can. Oh, definitely. Like, um, I suppose the three women that you've named there like, are such leaders in our team and I could name a few more as well, but um, like that, like we've such high standards set for ourselves that you know we expect the best from ourselves, and um, you know we don't expect anything anything less. So um, 
you know, we all drive each other on. We all want to do do the best we can and win as much as we can, I suppose, when we are, when we are playing Camogie. Yeah, and, and um, you're playing against Sarsfields. And the, the interesting thing about you guys meeting is that really without the two teams and what you've put in, this final probably wouldn't have taken place. Um, yeah, I suppose, sure, looking back like this final was supposed to be played uh, the last January, I can't even remember now, but, um, you know, I suppose we were kind of the, the two main teams, I suppose, that pushed, really pushed for it to um, to take place. Um, I suppose, you know, it would have been a huge pity if it didn't go ahead, even the provincial championships and stuff as well. So, like, they're such an important part of Camogie and I suppose we really value, you know, the, the Leinster Championship, the All-Ireland Series as well. So I'm absolutely delighted that we're getting the chance to play it. Um and I suppose, you know, the Sarsfields are the same. They really pushed for it. So it's just, um, I suppose it's great that the two of us are in the All-Ireland um, now on Saturday. Yeah, it's kind of fitting, I think, really, because you definitely, for what you've done off the pitch, making sure and fighting for it, really, to, to get it played. Like, it is nice that you are the two kind of left standing at the end of it as well. Uh, Sarsfields are a good team, though. And when you even just look at their, their starting players, you know that you're going to be up against it. Yeah, definitely. I suppose, like, any team you play at this stage in the in the championship are going to be um, you know are going to be tough. So we know we're up for a huge battle now on Saturday against Sarsfields. Um, you know they've been in the last four All Irelands and won the 2019 one. So um, you know they're they're going to be a serious team to come up against. But um, I suppose just looking at our own team, we've nine girls that played in our first All Ireland um, that started. Sorry, in our first All Ireland in 2011. Um, that started on, on the Saturday that's gone so you know we've huge experience in our team and we know what it takes to, to win a club All-Ireland and to the level that we have to perform at as well so um, and we're definitely up for it Just in, in terms of uh, being on television obviously it's a it's a, another kind of milestone as well to, to get there Sean and to have that game on RT TV before the, the two men's games later on the day as well like it feels like a bit of a, a moment yeah, definitely. Like, it's great that the match has been te- televised, you know, just to bring, I suppose, more awareness and stuff to um, to women's sport. But um, to be honest, I haven't thought much about it being on telly. Um, <laughs> I think the, all, the, all the guards are saying, you know, we're just so focused on the match. Yeah. that. Um, but, um, yeah, like, it is great that there's, I suppose, been um, such publicity and stuff around it, um, you know, and, and there's such coverage of the matches. Um like most of them have been live, live streamed over the, the course of the year so which has been fantastic but um, yeah no it's great that it's on telly now on, on Saturday and you know I suppose there's people that mightn't be able to travel to the match mm-hmm. that they're getting the chance to see it then as well um, from home Okay correct me if I'm wrong here now do you have a wedding on Friday? Yeah <laughs> A player's wedding? Um, yeah so Stacey Joe is um, our midfielder is getting married on Friday so um, I think it was her third time changing her wedding date um, due to COVID and stuff so <laughs> she's going ahead of it on Friday anyway so um, we have we've done on Friday and hopefully then on Saturday we could be able to celebrate it properly with her <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that, that would actually just be perfect wouldn't it have the yeah. wedding and then Saturday have the uh, the celebration Sean I look best to look over the weekend and also just fair play on, on all the work that you did making sure that this game and, and this series got to go ahead because um, it was tough but you never gave up so fair play for that and best look at the weekend and we'll talk to you soon Thanks so much, Marie. Thank Thanks, Mel. So that is all we have time for. Tara Coomer is up next and we'll be back starting our build up to all of the weekend's action. Tomorrow, I mean. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Game on on 2FM.
FM with Green Farm. Fuel your day the healthy way with Green Farm's on-the-go chicken bites. 100% natural and packed with protein. Available in selected Tesco's nationwide.